taking topic. I'm going to talk about beauty triumphs. And I need to uh, put this on the heels of kind of what prompted the message. You know, I, I meditate and meditate because you live in the same world I do and ugly things happen. And, um, you know, I just had a real ugly hit, uh, a beautiful friend of mine who had been battling uh, with cancer uh, past and, uh, you know, just grieving over her way before her time. She's younger than me. So that's way before <laughs> before her time. And, uh, you know, making sense of it, the goodness of God in the midst of the ugly and just sitting with the Lord. You know, we, we have... Uh, unanswered questions. We have unanswered questions. You know, cancer is not God's will. Death is anti-God. And so where we're trying to make sense of it with something that doesn't make sense, we need to rest and trust in the goodness and beauty of a God in the midst of the fallenness and the ugliness of evil that besets humanity. You know, how do we make sense of it? Ultimately, it's not going to come. I don't have a, a theological thing. I don't have all the answers, but I do know the one. She, you know, she's ultimately she's face to face with the lover of her soul. So actually, she's really good. <laughs> it's the rest of us that are missing her, that are grieving that are puzzling because we know God's will will is healing and healing didn't manifest in that way. And so trying to make sense of it, right? And so what do we do and how do we grapple uh, when it looks like evil triumphs? You know, evil uh, takes pot shots uh, and get some huge decimating uh, things. There's destruction that happens in humanity. And then you have this good and beautiful God. And, you know, either he's not all good, which is not true, because he's all light, all goodness, in him is no shadow of, uh, of turning. Or it seems like he's not powerful, like he's anemic. And, you know, the evil wins. And, um well, that's not true either, but trying to reconcile it can be a challenge. And I know it's a challenge for you too. And ultimately, it's going to come to the place of trust in the midst of unanswered questions. But in that, how do we trust in the midst of unanswered questions? How do we have peace in the midst of unanswered questions where it looks like ugly triumphs? But we have a beautiful God that's triumphed and is working that out. So how do we how do we grapple with this? Um, let's see. And and um, God is love. Yay. We need to start from there. We really do. He's love. He's truth. He's light. He's life. 
all of those things. And this is the starting point. This is the ending point. This uh, is all in the middle. This is eternal. Uh, and so we start there. We're not trying to get there. We're, this is the starting place. Um, and so he's a beautiful God. He's a lovely God. And he created each and every person in his image and likeness. That means if they know him or not, if they worship him or not, if they worship other gods, if they worship themselves, if they say they worship no God, which is a lie because worshiping no God is worshiping self or worshiping elect or worshiping darkness or whatever it is, but you're going to worship something because you're created for that, right? And so uh, I, I just think it's a real dishonest thing, which is, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I wanted to read something that kind of I launched I'm launching into this from because it was so um, inspiring. I thought, dang, that's good. Uh, and this is from Anthony Bloom. He's an Orthodox theologian and, and bishop. And he said, uh, this is a quote, every one of us is in the image of God and every one of us is like a damaged icon. icon. But if we were given an icon damaged by time, damaged by circumstances, or desecrated by human hatred, we would treat it with reverence, with tenderness, with brokenheartedness. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. We would not pay attention primarily to the fact that it is damaged, but to the tragedy of its being damaged, right? What would we would concentrate on what is left of its beauty and not on what is lost of its beauty. This is, this is what we must learn to do with regard to each person as an individual, but also, and this is always not easy with regard to groups of people, whether it be a parish or a denomination or a nation, we must learn to look and look until we have seen the underlying beauty of this group of people. Only then. Can we even begin to do something to call out all the beauty that is there? Listen to other people. And whenever you discern something which sounds true, which is a revelation of harmony and beauty, emphasize it and help it to flower, strengthen it and encourage it to live. You see, in the midst where, uh, where evil, where darkness, you know, you could call it the Satan, whatever, um, gets a sucker punch and gets maybe a bunch. I mean, you, you listen to some people's stories and you're like, they're so horrific. They really are. And yet they're beautiful people. Like beauty is in there. And, and, and sometimes what happens is that the marring, uh, that happened because of the evil, the destructiveness unleashed against it and the destructive unleashed against self, because often the person turns upon themselves uh, to destroy self. Right. But the self is still beautiful. It is eternal. It is indestructible, even if it is hidden under a bunch of crap. Right. And so what are we to do? Because the truth is, I don't have all the answers about why, why the redemptive plan of Christ sometimes looks like it's falling short. It looks like it hasn't caught up, <laughs> but I know that's a lie because 
the damage of the first Adam is not greater than the redeeming power of the second Adam. Christ is all already swallowed up everything in himself and it's working out from the unseen to the seen, from the inside to the outside. And he's doing it through um, each and every person. He's doing it through his kids, whether they know him or not, whether they, you know, there are people that are cooperating with him that would vehemently say, uh, they hate him or whatever, but they still can't help themselves because it's their original design. It's their original design. And so, um, so maybe by accident, you do something beautiful when they're trying to be ugly. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, it is kind of funny. We are really silly. I mean, as people. Uh, and so I want to bring us back because we're, we're talking about beauty triumphing. You know, sin's ugly. But where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Anybody notice sin abounding? Like it's a thing, right? Right. And then sometimes we, we, we take the ball of sin and we run with it, baby. We are going to, right? And it is just the foolishness of, of, of us in our pain. We do it in our anger. We do it in our, um, stupidity. We do it in our blindness. We do it. Right. And this is why it needs a healing. Right. This is why it's a healing thing. And so um, the confidence of God as a healer, as a redeemer is so sweeping. You see, God is playing the long range game, the game that lasts, that started in eternity past and continues in eternity future. If that's even a thing, it just continues throughout eternity and it's working itself out. So let's go to Ephesians 1. Oh God, I just love this so much. Ready? Okay, let's go to verse four. It says, and in love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. This is the uh, the passion translation. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. That ordained us, just so you know, means marked us with his love in the Aramaic. I might just get happy on that. Anyway, uh, we will keep going. Verse five. And it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children, not as his, um, oh my God, I'm putting up with you because you're so ugly. What a stinker, you know, um, as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, which has already been established. Okay. The anointed one. So that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the for uh for for the same love he has for his beloved Jesus he has for us you know the truth is um you cannot make him hate you you're just not that powerful you can't make him reject you you're just not that powerful you can't make him ignore you you're just not that powerful you can't make him disconnect from you you are just not that powerful and that's good because you didn't choose him he chose you now if you want to be healed if you want freedom if you want deliverance if you want life if you want light if you want hope if you want peace choose him back the level of darkness that we have is the level of not choosing him back and so, you know, that's our blindness. Okay. But he's actually also healing our chooser. Isn't that good to know? He's the one that's not just out there to heal your mind and heal your emotions and heal your body. 
right? He's also there to heal your will because all of humanity, we just got jacked up. We really did. And some of it was um, totally not our fault. You were born in the same messed up world I was born in. And some of us, yeah, we, we went right along with it and chose it. And it really is our thing. But, you know, he didn't save us because we deserve it. He saved us because he loves us. And so his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for the beloved Jesus he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. You know what? He's all about saving you and he's happy about it. So which means he's already dove in deeper than your hellhole. And he's all about calling you out of that, calling out the beauty that's resident and intrinsic within you to redeem you, to conform you into his image and likeness in your flavor. Yeah. Since we are now joined to Christ, this is a presupposition. Since we are now, so this is a done deal. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Let me give you another verse uh, from uh, 2 Timothy 1.9, just in case you think that this joining, this, this union thing is about you choosing him. No, he chose you. And joined you to himself. Uh, He gave us resurrection life and drew us to himself by his holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good we have done. So this is not like our deserving it or not irrelevant question, right? But by his divine pleasure, because he loves you. And he's like, yeah, I will have my children. Yeah. And his marvelous grace, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Just thought I'd throw that in there. That confirmed our union. That confirmed our union. With the anointed Jesus, get this, even before time began, he joined you to himself before he even created you. Well, actually couldn't join you what he didn't create, but uh, before he actually sent you to, uh, to this planet, right? He was going to secure you and work on that union, waking you up to it. So awakening, we are blind. We are um, uh, warped in our minds and our thinking and our, at uh, strongholds and all of that. Okay. But this is a, a already greater than that because it's before all that you were marked by love before you were marred by anything else. Let's keep going through our union with Christ. We too have uh, been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Verse 11 in Ephesians one, before we were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. So he's going to accomplish every purpose and plan in his heart. The question is, how readily are you going to say yes to God? See, God doesn't strong arm you to say yes to him, but he woos you. And his love is so um, sweeping. Because it's who he is. It draws upon our inner original design to say yes, so that the salvific work can be accomplished in us and through us. And I personally believe that this doesn't stop after this lifetime as we know it, that this this wooing continues, that we have a yes after death. I don't believe that death is greater than Christ. So once we die, um, Jesus is like, well, sorry, you didn't choose me on this side. I can't do anything for you. That would make death bigger than Christ. And last time I checked, death was conquered uh, on the cross. 
mystically, right? So the last enemy is death and death has been conquered. And this is a being worked out in us. Let's go to Ephesians 1, 4. Sorry, let's go to Ephesians 2, 10. Sorry, Passion Translation. We have become his poetry. His workmanship is another word. The word poema, your poem, you are his poem to the world. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Christ. When were we joined to Christ? Quick quiz. Let me think, 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 think. Oh, yeah, before the foundation of the world. This is such security, right? And so we can agree with that process or not, but it doesn't, our agreement or not agreement with doesn't make it true. It's just true. And when we agree with truth, we start to manifest freedom, right? Uh, We were joined to Jesus, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. So in other words, these were already established before he sent us. Before he sent us, it was a finished thing. Now, the more we agree with it, the more we partner with him, the more we say yes in our pain, in our anger, in our broken ways of being, the more freedom we will experience, the more these truths will become self-evident. <laughs> They're evident in and of themselves, but they will be shown and manifested as for what they are. So the lie doesn't make the truth not true. It just makes you deluded. So we're just needing help with our delusion. And this is a um, this is a, an, a, a human thing, but beauty will prevail. Beauty will prevail. We are beauty is triumphing. God is love and he is lovely. And where sin came in to mar his beloved kids, you know, that that sin wasn't greater and is not greater. Whether we are, it's the sinful ways of being that we're doing towards us or others, the sinful ways of being that we're doing towards ourselves and God. It's not greater than our original design. You're a child because he's a father, not because you do everything right. Not, and not because you deserve it. You don't earn, um, you don't earn being a child. You know, my kids, they're my kids on their good days, on their bad days, right? They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it because this whole concept of deserving it is actually not a Jesus concept. Um, It is because in love, my husband and I chose to create our children or to partner in the creation of our children because God created our children, right? And so they're always our kids. It's an eternal truth. How much more than our eternal father, right? And he's beautiful. And so you're beautiful in all the ways that are not beautiful. And we can be really ugly. Okay. We can really partner with death and marring and all of that. We can do that because we really do have a free will, but God is also about healing the will. And so he takes the long plan, man, the long plan, uh, before the foundation of the world, walking it out through the seen realm, through the realm of time where he is timeless, but he's working it out, right? Um, let's go to a second, uh, let's go to uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Passion Translation. Because of, because of that obedience, let's talk about the obedience of Christ. God exalted him. The father exalted his son and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given 
the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. So look down, look down. Do you have any knees? Okay. If they've been amputated, you had knees. Okay. Yes. Those will bow down in reverence because the resonating truth from the inside out will resonate greater and greater and greater until love will woo his way to heal your no into a yes, into all the different places that are still saying no, or that don't even know they're saying no, but are saying no. And I believe this makes sense because he has eternity to do it. So how long can you hold out? Particularly even after death, uh, how long can you hold out? Against love. Well, um, I personally, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that every place we say no, that every human being that says no to God, not just as Lord and Savior, but the places where we are exalting ourselves. Whoops, I get this. And we're, 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 we're saying no to love, right? Um, those will yield. This is conformity to the image of Christ. How masterful is God? Is God not more masterful than our uh, insistence on embracing self-destruction, self-delusion, destruction towards others? I believe he is. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. Kind of covers it, right? And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God, his father. So the bottom line is this. God is redeeming beauty. Beauty triumphs because beauty is an attribute of a person who's altogether lovely because he is love. And guess what? You are created in the image and likeness of love. And you can disagree, you know, um, in the places where I, I minister to people who are so broken that they are operating in such tremendous self-hatred and self-loathing that they literally want to annihilate themselves. And this is a, there's a spirit behind it, whether you call it a demon, but I don't really care what you call it. Because at the end, it doesn't really matter. Now, it's a, it's good to, you know, like, what how what does this mean theologically? But just practically where people live, the demons <clears throat> in people's lives that are driving them to destruction, self-destruction, destroying others. And usually what happens is you destroy and you take down other people with you, right? And, you know, this is this is the the marring of creation the anti of love, the anti of beauty, the anti of that, the shadow of light and operating in the shadow, which is not even a true realm, but it's a delusional realm. It's the realm of darkness. Well, darkness really isn't a thing. It has no substance. It's not eternal, but it's a thing when we turn away from light or when we're blinded to light, right? And so as God is redeeming that and diving into that, he's turning the human heart. He's turning the human will. 
he's turning the human soul, the emotions, the mind, the warpedness that happens with a creation that turns back on itself. And he's bringing it back to him because beauty will triumph because you're beautiful. Of course you are. You're in the image of likeness of the one who is altogether lovely because he's love and love never fails. Now, these three things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love never fails. Love is eternal. Love is a person you're one with. He's already chosen you. Didn't ask your opinion. Didn't ask for your vote. It's irrelevant for his choice for you. And he's not having buyer's remorse, right? (laughs) He's love and he's chosen and that's the end of it. And he's wooing your heart to choose back. And you know what? You can choose back now or you can choose back later. But in the breaths of eternity, um, that he's healing your chooser and he's healing your mind and he's healing your will and drawing all creation back to himself because beauty triumphs. Anyway, I hope this has been a blessing for you today. Um, Share this with someone who needs it. I love you guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.